When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Based loosely on David Morrell's 1972 novel of the same name, this 80s flick was the first of a decades-long franchise. Unlike the following sequels, which were war adventure films set in foreign countries, this was a post-Vietnam War psychological thriller set in the United States that lacks the gore and violence that would later become a trademark of the series. So journey back with us to the small town of Hope, Washington, as Laramie Wells from Moving Panels Podcast and I discuss First Blood from 1982 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. John Rambo was just passing through town, but they had nothing better to do. You're looking for trouble. You came to the right place, buddy. They didn't know how far he would go. They knew he was innocent. Just another drifter that broke the law. Vagrancy, wasn't it? They didn't know he had been trained for survival. Right on top of him. Keep moving. There's no way out of here except through us. They didn't know he could stalk a soldier by his heartbeat. You don't seem to want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare. They didn't know they had started a war that they could never win. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone in First Blood from the best-selling novel. Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by an 80s Flick-loving guest co-host, to talk about one of the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing first time watch memories, discussing our favorite iconic scenes, and even learning some behind the scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s Flick Flashback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating. You can also support the show by following us on our social media pages. Just search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And don't forget to check out our website, 80sflickflashback.com as well. If you want to take your support to the next level, you can become a financial partner for less than $10 a month. The link to financially support the podcast is located in our episode show notes. And while you're there, be sure to check out more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. All right, welcome in, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. It's going to be a good one. I say that every time, but have <laughs> I let you down yet? I don't think no, so. No, this one's going to suck. 
<laughs> Thanks, Laramie. Yeah. I appreciate it. No, but welcome back to the show, Mr. Laramie Wells from Moving Panels Podcast. How you doing, Laramie? I am good. I am wonderful. This is uh, a movie that I actually enjoy, but don't ever watch it all that much because it's a yeah. hard one to watch. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It's not. It's not your typical '80s action movie. It is not. It is not. Even though it's got some really good action sequences and thrilling. Like I said, more suspense, more thrilling kind of scenes than just straight up action that you would think of like a Commando or even Rambo First Blood Part 2. But we'll, we'll... <laughs> or any of the other Rambo movies. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, but good to have you on the podcast as always. And of course, because it's based on a book, why not have you on here? Because Of course. <laughs> if it's based on a book, you call me. <laughs> So Laramie did read the book, uh, actually right before, like in the last day or two. And so yep. we'll talk about... For the, the first time. This was not a book I yeah. had read before. So yeah. so, uh, yeah. so we'll definitely d- dive into some, to the differences between the book and the movie. Uh, but let's jump in like we always do. When did you see First Blood for the very first time, Laramie? Uh, I want to say college. Yeah. Um, yeah. It it wasn't it wasn't I don't think it was on my radar until college. Not that I wasn't familiar with Rambo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a child of the '80s. I remember the cartoon. I have some <laughs> of the action figures. Yeah, I had one of the action figures too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think I actually saw the any of the movies until college. Yeah. So the interesting thing about this one is, and we'll I, I'm probably bring this up again whenever we get to First Blood Part Two. I saw Rambo First Blood Part Two in the movie theater. Oh wow! But my dad would not let me watch the original First Blood. And I never understood hmm. why. And I had seen like Terminator. I mean, I'd seen other R-rated action movies. And I don't know if it's because maybe he had read the book and had not seen the movie. So he thought it was going to be oh, a little yeah. bit more violent yeah. and, you know, a little bit more to take in than it actually was. Or if it was because it dealt with the Vietnam War. And, and, and it, I mean, at that at that time, I mean, I was way too young to understand a lot of the the undertones of the movie that I were, I see recognizing it now. Now was uh, your, was your dad a, a my dad was army. Yeah. But he, was he a Vietnam vet? No, he was not. Okay. No, I didn't know age wise if he would have no, fallen he, under he that. missed it. I say he missed it, but he was, yeah, it was like after it was coming to an end by the time he enlisted. So, yeah. but that, he started as a, he started as a non-commissioned officer. He was in recruiting is how we started anyway. So. Yeah. Now, that was the same with my dad. My dad graduated high school right as Vietnam was mm-hmm. ending. So he yeah. he was safe from being drafted. <laughs> right. I don't know if it was the Vietnam PTSD kind of stuff that he was trying to shield me from. Or what I'm saying. I, you know, I may ask him, you know, now that I've seen it a couple of times now. Yeah. Uh, to actually ask him, like, why did you not want me to see it as a kid? And he may not even remember. But Of course, at the time, it wasn't. P, uh, PTSD. It was just called Vietnam Vet Syndrome. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They still didn't know what really. to call it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because PTSD didn't really become a term until probably in the last, what, 20, 25 years, uh, maybe? Your guess is as good as mine. I'm thinking it was pretty much. I, I, like it, yeah, it, I know it's it's yeah, not that it's, old. It's, a fairly, yeah. it's more fairly new term, but. It's just like the CTE stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't remember when I watched this for the first time. I think I saw a TV version of it. Like as a teenager, like much later, after you know, uh, I had seen yeah. Rambo one and I mean uh, Rambo part or first. I hate calling it Rambo one because it's not yeah. the, the titles right. are so confusing for the series. I own the digital copies, and even on the digital copy that I have, it's Rambo First Blood. I'm like, no, it's just First Blood. Don't no, put Rambo. It was just in front called of it. First Blood. Right. Yeah. So 
even I probably saw this after seeing Rambo First Blood Part Two and Rambo Three, which yeah, it's not even That's so <laughs> crazy. The titles, but yeah, because so it's it's First Blood, yeah, Rambo First Blood Part Two, and then Rambo Three, Rambo Three, then just Rambo, Rambo, yeah, then John Rambo, and then well, no, no, was it was the fourth one called John Rambo or was it, was, it just called yeah. Rambo? No, it was, just, it was called John Rambo. It was called yeah, Jam, John Rambo. And then yeah. the last one is called Last Blood. Last Blood, yeah. So. Oh, gosh, there were five of those. There's there? only five, yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I lost count. <laughs> yeah. One thing I do remember, though, is, and you were probably too young to remember this, but between First Blood, or maybe when Rambo First Blood Part Two was out, there was a TV movie that I remember watching the commercial for and it was like a very similar story and it was like inspired by the movie First Blood. So it was like they tried to like do a much less violent version, like a TV movie version that I think I watched like the first 15 or 20 minutes of. It and I was like, I got bored with it. But I, uh, that for some reason that I, and I, I need to go back and see if I can. I have to dig that up and see if I can find it on YouTube or something, because I'm really curious now, like what's the starring name of that was. Tom Berenger. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it was some, something yeah. like that. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so I honestly I don't remember when I saw this for the first time, but I'm pretty sure it was a TV version that I saw when I saw it the first time. So I didn't see the, you know, unedited version until it might have been after college. It might have been in just in the last 20 years, like after I got married, um, yeah. when I actually saw the you know the full unedited version. But how long had it been since you watched it before you watching it for the podcast? Oh, a long time. Yeah. Um, I. I got when it was only four films. Mm-hmm. I got the box set okay. that had all four films, and but that was that was well probably fifteen mm-hmm. plus years ago, right? So, uh, so it it had been probably about that long since I had seen it. Yeah, I think when I got the uh, when I bought the set, which I think was right when I got this one right when they released Last Blood, so it ha- I have all of them on the digital. Oh no, I, I have them all now on uh, yeah. Blu-ray. I have okay. the box, yeah. the Blu-ray box set, which had digital copies, so I right, also right. have them all digitally. Yeah. So when I bought that whole set, I was like, "Well, I'm going to go because I had I bought that without have without having seen Last Blood." I was like, well, I I'm still go haven't back. seen Last Blood." Oh really? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. The um the extended version is better because it has a little bit. It fills in a couple of plot holes that you don't get in the in the theatrical version, which this movie may could have used. Right. <laughs> well, they already point that out. They already cut it down already. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't... No, they they needed yeah extended stuff. But yeah, so I think I watched it then, and I kind of watched all of them again, like chronological to get back to the uh, yeah to, to to watch the newest one. So it's been like yeah. a two that came out like two years ago, two or three years ago. Was that something yeah. like that? Yeah. So, uh, but before then. It had been, I think, like AMC or one of those channels would run like the marathons every so often on like a holiday mm-hmm. weekend. And I think one day I watched, like, I, I missed like the first 10 minutes, but I saw First Blood was on and I watched the rest of it on TV and then a little bit of Rainbow First Blood Part 2. I'm very curious as to what holiday they would choose to run <laughs> these movies. Yeah, I don't remember. Some three day holiday, just like, you know, Memorial Day, Labor Day, not that it's. Yeah, but okay. So Memorial Day, would you? Re- is this really <laughs> not this one? The type you know, of movie. That's the interesting about this franchise is like it goes from no, it's extremes. It's extremes. It takes a big, big jump because it goes from this very deep, dramatic, you know, uh, almost like a 
war movie just set in Washington, mm. um, you know, guerrilla war movie, right. to by Rambo 3, it's uh, Rambo shooting an arrow <laughs> at a helicopter. Right, right. But he represents all of America um, in every battle yes, he does. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Rambo is the one man fighting force. Right, right. For America. Yeah. I'll save all that for Rambo First Blood Part 2, because I have, I have much more memories of that movie than I do of this movie. And now, these messages. Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. Now playing on a cell phone near you. A show for all the manly men out there. Where guys talk about their favorite movies and what they can teach us about being a man. Featuring the coolest guests. Murder somebody is not like killing an ant. The most gratifying laughs. It's Tombstone, what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) And a fresh take on movies like you've never heard before. This will be the thing that gets written on his proverbial tombstone. We aren't here to criticize the movies you love, but to praise them for how they apply to our lives as husbands, fathers, and really all men in general. So buckle up your seatbelts, because Manly Movies is here. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast catcher. And remember, man up. Just jump in the story origin and pre-production, shall we? So in 1972, Lawrence Terman and Columbia Pictures bought the film rights to David Morrell's novel First Blood for $175,000. Richard Brooks was slated to direct and intended to have the film be an allegory on differing American perceptions of World War II and Vietnam War veterans with Sheriff, and I'm going to mess it, is it Tessel or Teasel? I think it's Teasel. Okay, I was trying to remember in the movie, but they kept calling him by his first name, not his last name in the movie. Yeah, So, but in the book, the book is always by his last name. Gotcha. And so... So same thing for Rambo. He's just in fact, right. John is never Not said, said in, the book. in the book. Right. Yeah, yeah. I did see that. Sheriff Tiesel portrayed more sympathetically than in the novel. The film would have ended with Tiesel ordering his men drop their guns to try to reason with Rambo, who would have then been fatally shot by an unknown assailant. Brooks planned to start shooting First Blood in New Mexico in December 1972. The film did not proceed because the Vietnam War was still underway and Brooks left the project. Afterward, John Calley purchased the rights at Warner Brothers Pictures for $125,000 with a thought of casting either Robert De Niro or Clint Eastwood as Rambo. That would have been interesting. A screenplay was written by Walter Newman with Martin Ritt intended to direct. The film would have criticized American military culture and portrayed Colonel Troutman as the film's villain, ending with both Rambo and Cecil dying. Sidney Pollack and Martin Bergman also considered directing the film with Bergman hiring David Rabe to write a script. After Bergman departed, Mike Nichols considered directing Rabe. So it's like all these rotating directors and yeah. screenwriters. William Sackheim and William... I'm sorry, William Sackheim and Michael Causal wrote the screenplay that would be the basis of the final film in 1977, originally intended for John Badham to direct. That would have been interesting. Producer Carter DeHaven purchased Sackham and Causal's script from Warner Brothers 
for $375,000. So we've gone from $175,000 to $375,000. DeHaven, yeah, DeHaven secured the Cinema Group as a financier and hired John Frankenheimer as director with production to begin in Georgia. This was also the first version of the script where which Rambo survived the film. However, the project stalled again after the distributor Filmways was acquired by Orion Pictures. After Mario Kayser and Andrew J. Vajna of Anabasis Investments read the book, <laughs> they got interested in doing an adapt- adaptation as the first production of their studio, Carol Co. Pictures, funded by in-house sources. They purchased the film rights from Warner Brothers for $375,000 and Sackheim and Kazol's script for $125,000 in 1981. Ted Kotcheff, who had been involved in the project in 1976, returned after Kassar and Vajna offered to finance one of his projects. Kotcheff offered the role of John Rambo to Sylvester Stallone, and the actor accepted after reading the script through in a weekend. Various scripts adapted from Morell's book had been pitched to studios in the years since its publication, but only Stallone's involvement prompted its production. The time since the end of the Vietnam War and Stallone's star power after the success of the Rocky films enabled him to rewrite the script to make the character of John Rambo more sympathetic. Morell's book has Rambo kill many of his pursuers, and Kazal and Sekheim's draft had him killing 16 people, but in the movie, Rambo does not directly cause the death of any police or National Guardsmen. Stallone also decided to let Rambo survive the film, unlike in the book. A suicide scene was filmed, but Kotcheff and Stallone opted to have Rambo turn himself in at Troutman's urging. Stallone did an estimated seven revisions of the script. Kutcheff requested further work to be done on the script, which was performed by Larry Gross and David Geiler, which I think are the only names in the opening credits when it came up. So, so it went through a lot to get this movie made, it seems. Oh, yeah. But So now we'll, we'll talk a little bit, before we jump into casting, which we normally do, I wanted to kind of talk about the difference between the book and the movie, uh, just because it's going to come up, <laughs> it's going to come up sooner than later. Yeah, yeah, as so we talk. We've already talked um, a little yeah. bit about it, even in the post-production stuff. So these are a few things that I had pulled up online. I have not read the book. So, Laramie, you can feel free to, you know, fill in some gaps here or if there's anything else that, that wasn't. I And I may not have pulled up everything I read. I was trying to keep it somewhat uh, shorter. But if you, you know, something you want to mm-hmm. throw out there, go for it. David Morrell said the novel and character Rambo is a distillation. Distillation. Is that right? Sound right? Yeah, okay. Sure. <laughs> right. Like, I'm a math teacher. I don't know big words. Rambo is a distillation of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder and the signs of challenge of authority exhibited by university students who are younger than him. The novel is also a result of several discussion sessions organized by him after lectures aimed at the select group of students who had returned from a tour of duty in Vietnam. So, a little how he came up with the, the book. Stallone and the producers wanted to make Rambo a different character in the film than he was in the book. They didn't want him to be a psychotic, cold-blooded killer like he was in the book and decided to make him a man who was lost and didn't know what to do with his life and was a victim of circumstance. Stallone also decided to have Rambo not kill the cops or the National Guard, as in the novel where Rambo killed them all. Oh yeah, Rambo Rambo takes everybody out. Mm-hmm. So the very f- for the scene where he snaps, which is in the the jail cell when the guy's coming at him with the, the straight razor. Okay. Now it's, it's actually Galt mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that comes at him with the straight and Galt's the one that's holding him uh, in the movie, but it's actually Galt that comes at him with the straight razor. They're trying in the book. Rambo has a beard and you know, long hair 
uh, and they're trying to shave off the the beard, and that you know, that's when Rambo, you know, he, he kind of snaps, and he actually ends up getting the razor from Galt and then slashes Galt across the yeah. abdomen, like just spilling his guts out, and that's the first death. So whereas in the you know the movie Galt's the one that accidentally dies by falling out of the, right falling out of the helicopter. The helicopter. But yeah, no, I wouldn't say though the being a psychotic, cold-blooded, blooded killer. In the book, he, I mean, he he does kill, but he even talks about how he doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, he does it out of necessity, which okay. I think they they imply in the movie. I mean, when you know the very first you know kind of attack when Rambo incapacitates every single one of the deputies. Right. And right. then he, he pulls the knife on uh, Tessel and pretty mm-hmm. much says, I could have killed all of you. Right. And if you, you know, you, you don't leave me alone, you're going to force me to, mm-hmm. they just didn't go, go that route in the book. They just went straight into, he's got to kill to survive. Yeah. Cause in the book, doesn't he kill like some of the townspeople too? He does, but he only does it when they, threaten his survival okay gotcha you know i mean because some of the townspeople you know pull their guns on him Mm -hmm. and so you know he has to to shoot back uh he he does i I mean again i I read the book so quickly not everything stuck with me (laughs) right i don't know if he actually kills civilians as much as he does shoot them you know, to prevent them from doing something to him. So, so maybe not kill, but at least a, he does yeah. fire at them or injure them. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. I mean, he he killed. Well, I will say Orville, who you you know, barely know he exists in the movie. He's the guy that has the the dogs. Oh right, um, okay. And Teasel yeah. does yell the name Orville, so <laughs> it is the same character. Mm. He does kill him, and I do think he's okay. just he's just a civilian. Gotcha. Um, yeah. But yeah, he does. Kill yeah, because even in the, the movie, book. it seems like he's a he was a civilian, just a friend of the department or whatever. They use his dogs yeah. for 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 police work, or whatever. So, so I do have this note in the novel: Rambo escapes from the police station as we talked about, buck naked uh, and not yep. clothed, and he gets clothes and a hunting rifle from some moonshiners he finds in the woods and uses the rifle to kill several of the deputies pursuing him. Yep the the scene like in the movie where they're they're hosing him down mm-hmm. like that's. He doesn't get dressed after that. After that, gotcha. Yeah, he's actually taking a shower. They don't do the hose down. Okay, like he's he's taking a shower. Right. And Tessel then cuts the water off and says, "You know, come on, you know, we're cutting your hair and shaving you." Mm-hmm. And he was refusing, and then all heck broke loose. Yeah, Stallone also points out in the original novel, which this was a part that I know I read in some trivia the last time I watched it, and it helped me give a little bit more perception between. Tessel and Rambo, but Tessel is a veteran of the Korean War, and his attitude towards Rambo stems from the comp- competition of who fought a greater war. This especially fits in with the Korean War being something of a forgotten war. This element, of course, didn't make it in the film. I know there's a scene where Tessel's in his office, and you can see his army medals mm-hmm. on the, you know, cadenza or whatever behind his desk. So, yeah. and it may it might have been more in the longer version that we'll talk about uh, later that just didn't make the final cut. Yeah. They have that, the moment in the book where when he brings Rambo in, Rambo's in his office and Rambo notices the metal. Okay. 
Um, and, you know, I, I was going to kind of wait, but I think I'm kind of bringing this in already. Okay. So the novel goes back and forth between Rambo being kind of the narrator and Tessel being the narrator. Oh, okay. It, it kind of tells, because you get to, you get to, to see how each one of them are thinking. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. In the manner. And I will be honest, the book to me does not have a protagonist. Okay. Rambo, you might say you sympathize more with Rambo, but as we just said, Rambo kills like 20 people. <laughs> right. In the right. in the book. And then Tessel is just kind of like in this movie, he's a jerk. Mm-hmm. But when you get a lot of his background and what he's thinking through, he's kind of sympathetic too. Like you, you have mm-hmm. a little bit more of an understanding of where he's coming from. Right. And that's probably the one thing that I wish the film would have given us a little bit more of his backstory to where he didn't, because they do kind of, in the movie, he's portrayed more of like the villainous character yeah. that he's just picking on Rambo for no good reason and, you know, not treating him like a, a human or whatever. But like I said, knowing that whole thing about he was a Korea, soldier of the Korean War and the Vietnam War and there being some animosity between those two types of veterans gave a little bit more of like, oh, yeah. I can kind of see why maybe he didn't give him the benefit of the doubt. But I mean, the there's even a storyline about his separation from his wife. Mm, okay. Uh, Tessel. Uh, so, yeah, there's a little bit more, even like him losing kind of friendships and all. Okay. So it, it kind of plays with, like you were saying, you know, what happened to him after Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, plays around with that a little bit more, but and again, I'm not. He's still a jerk. <laughs> uh, he still treats Rambo unfairly at the beginning, right? Um, and pretty much brings this upon himself. Uh, but, but yeah, but like I said, I, I really Rambo is not the as heroic of a character in the mm. book as he's portrayed in the movie. Yeah, I gotcha. So also we have Richard Crenna's character, Colonel Sam Troutman, is a close friend of Rambo in the movie. But in the novel, which is the basis for the movie, Troutman is a captain. Also, Rambo barely remembers Troutman and is not friends with him. In the book, Troutman has brought, is brought in to kill Rambo because he had trained him. Thus, he was the only one who could stop him, which is what happens in the end of the book, where Troutman mercy kills Rambo. An alternative ending was indeed filmed in which Rambo takes a gun and puts it in Troutman's hand while pointing at himself, saying that he'd rather be dead than face prison. When Troutman hesitates, Rambo pulls his hand so the gun goes off, killing him. That was the original filmed ending of the movie that they didn't go with. Mm. In the novel, it's more of Troutman ran the school, or whatever you would call it, the training training facility Mm -hmm. that Rambo trained at. It wasn't that he was Rambo's, you know... Uh, commanding officer which gotcha. is what the the movie implies mm-hmm. um so yeah it's more of he is familiar with john rambo mm-hmm. he knows how john rambo was tra- and i see i say john again he's not called john it's <laughs> just called rambo in the movie right in the um book. in the book excuse me mm-hmm. uh but he he just knows how rambo was trained but he doesn't actually know rambo Gotcha. So the last one that I have as far as like the book versus the movie is David Morrell, the author, said that he prefers the film over his novel. Yeah, so much so that when they made a sequel to the film, he decided to write a sequel <laughs> to the novel, 
even though he had killed Rambo at the end of his novel. <laughs> you know, I did see that when I was looking at stuff on the book and I was like, hmm, that because and I was like, but did he just I because I, I didn't, you know, dig deep. But I saw that, you know, Rambo First Blood Part Two was the name yeah. of the book. And I was like, did he just write an adaptation of the movie? He did. OK, he did. Yeah, he he made the sequels that he wrote are came after the, the sequels movies. and the gotcha. movies. But it's just so funny because, yeah, both. Now, you didn't mention this. Tessel dies at the end, too. Right. They, right. they both die at the end of yeah. the the book. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is Troutman that kills uh, Rambo. And it's great. In both cases, both Tessel and Rambo, you, like I just said, the book goes back and forth. Mm-hmm. So you, you hear their final thoughts mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. they're dying. Wow. Yeah, Troutman takes off a good chunk of uh, Rambo's brain with a with a shot to the head, uh, and that's that's how that one goes. And then Rambo uh, Rambo kills Tressel, although it's kind of implied that he does it accidentally. Okay, like he's he's he doesn't intend to because at this point in the book, the way I interpreted it was at the end of the book, Rambo's just Rambo is ready to die. Okay. And he is actually the same way you kind of talked about with the the alternate ending in the book. You know, he's pretty much he's trying to die, go ahead and die by Trestle's hands. Mm-hmm. And but then he shoots at Trestle, and he actually Kills fatally him. wounds. Gotcha. Yeah, hmm. doesn't kill him instantly. Fatally wounds him because we got to have all the now Trestle's thoughts, thoughts. happening gotcha. as he's dying. Gotcha. So. Yeah. Wow. I kind of wanted to read the book originally after watching the movie and knowing it was best from the book. Now I really want to kind of read the book or, as, uh, or the audio book is probably more. I would probably be able to get more of it out of the audio book. But anyway, so, hey, go read. <laughs> it was yeah. a movie podcast, but and, read and listening to audio books is reading. Yes. I'm I am not one to say that <laughs> it is not doesn't count as reading a book if you listen to the audio book. Right, right. So a little bit about the post-production. The first rough cut of the film was between three and three and a half hours long. Dear God, just read the book. <laughs> According to Stallone, it was so bad that it sickened his agent and himself. Stallone wanted to buy the movie and destroy it, thinking that it, was, it would kill his career. After heavy re-editing, the film was cut down to 93 minutes. This version was ultimately what was released in the theaters. The ending used in the finished film was shot on March 1982 after the original one was deemed unsatisfactory yeah i will say 93 minutes is probably too short yeah i think there's a few things that needed to be filler to help bridge some of the scenes in the movie yeah uh so Casser and vagina sought either warner brothers 20th century fox or paramount pictures as a distributor displaying an 18 minute promotional reel to studios although they secured international distributors they were unable to locate a domestic distributor for the film until they sent a longer 55-minute reel, which is over half the movie at that point, uh, to the American film market. After Warner Brothers and Paramount expressed interest, Orion Pictures agreed to the domestic distribution of the film. So, Of course they did, because you can't have an 80s movie without Orion Pictures. <laughs> right, right. And let's talk about, we talked about Carol Coe Pictures earlier. Carol Coe Pictures, for as long as they stayed in business, used the Rambo theme when they would show their their logo at the beginning of any movie they did. That was something I remembered uh, when when I hear, whenever I hear that Rambo theme. I'm like, that's Carol Coe because I 
seen more Caracol movies than Rambo at that point. Let's talk a little bit about the director, Ted Kotcheff. I hope I'm saying his name right. He is a Bulgarian-Canadian film and television director, writer, and producer, known primarily for his work on British and American television productions. In the mid-70s, he relocated to Hollywood and directed Fun with Dick and Jane in 1977, which was a big hit. He followed it with the comedy Who is Killing the Great Chefs of Europe in 1978. Never heard of that one. Yeah. Then wrote and directed North Dallas 40 in 79, which was critically acclaimed. He had his biggest success to date, of course, with First Blood in 1982. He worked on another Vietnam-themed action movie, Uncommon Valor, in 83, but then went back to comedies with Switching Channels in 88 and Weekend at Bernie's in 89. And I have to say, what a career. From First Blood to Weekend at Bernie's. (laughs) Yeah. Well, even, like, fun fun with Dick and Jane. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's a... I mean, people may be familiar with the Jim Carrey remake. Yeah, right, but the original was Jane Fonda, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Jane Fonda and George Seagal. Oh, what's his name? George Seagal. Seagal. Yeah, yeah, George Seagal. Yeah, as soon as you said his first name, uh, I was like, oh, that's who it yep. was in that one. Yep. It's George Seagal. And it's got Ed McMahon in it, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I think I've seen bits and pieces of the original. Of course, I've seen the Jim Carrey one. Uh, I own it. Three. Of course you do. <laughs> I own Fun with Dick and Jane. I own both versions of Fun with Dick and Jane. So, yeah. But anyway, so I, this was, you know, he's not a director that I was necessarily familiar with, but. I thought he did a nah. decent job with what he was given. Oh yeah! Oh yes! Yeah, this is a great, this is a great movie. Like I said, a little. I think there's a little bit of issue with the the kind of pacing mm, yes, and the yes. way the way it kind of flows, but it's a great movie. Yeah, but that comes back to editing. I mean, having to yeah, be that's it's more of an editing edited. issue. Yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit about casting. Uh, Brooks originally wanted to cast Betty Davis as a psychiatrist, either Burt Lancaster or Lee Marvin as Sheriff Teasel. Of course, this is, we're going back to the original yeah, like, I was about to say, 70s. This has got to be yeah. a lot earlier if they're going to play earlier. parts. Yeah. When the project was purchased by Warner Brothers, we mentioned the De Niro and Eastwood were both considered for the role of Rambo. It's also implied, because they refer to Rambo throughout the book as the kid. Oh, really? Okay. And and I've kind of got the impression in the book that Rambo's only supposed to be in his 20s. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, so, of course, uh, Stallone, not in his 20s. <laughs> no. um, but then also just hearing you talk about Robert De Niro and Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. I'm like, even if this movie came out in the 70s, mm-hmm. they were old. Right. So, right. Uh, so yeah, that would have been interesting. Yeah. Ritt intended to cast Robert Mitchum as Tessel and Paul Newman as Rambo. Pollock. What? <laughs> okay. Pollock considered Robert Mitchum. Robert Mitchum, I can see. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Robert sure. Mitchum, I can see. But no, not Paul Newman is ramp. No. In in no world. <laughs> in no era. Not Paul Newman is a great actor. Right. Right. But he is not Rambo. No. That would. That's a stretch for sure. Yeah. Pollock considered Steve McQueen, but then rejected him because that's they closer. considered him too old to play a Vietnam veteran. Yeah. From 1975. Yeah. Again, the age thing, but. You know, if it was a younger Steve McQueen, I'd be I'd be okay with that. Yeah. Not Paul Newman though. <laughs> oh, here's this is a good one. Rabe developed the screenplay with Al Pacino in mind for the role and had Hoo-ah! several conversations with the actor who wanted to portray Rambo as a force of nature after seeing the film Jaws. <laughs> However, Pacino decided not to be involved because he found the story too dark. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. When Badham was considered as director, he wanted to cast John Travolta as Rambo. Jeez. Jeez. Uh, 
<laughs> George C. Scott as Troutman, which I could kind of... Diesel, up your nose with a rubber hose. <laughs> and either Gene Hackman or Charles Durning as Tessel. Now, I could see Gene Hackman in the Tessel yeah. role, for sure. Yeah. Charles Durning, would, eh, a little too comedic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Frankenheimer considered Powers Booth, Michael Douglas, and Nick Nolte as Rambo before casting Brad Davis because of his role in Midnight Express. Dustin Hoffman was offered the role of Rambo, but turned it down. Definitely. Definitely not. Definitely not. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> for the role of Sheriff Tessel, Kasser, and Vagina Approach Academy Award winners, Hackman and Robert Duvall. I can see Duvall as well. I could, I could see that, yeah. But both turned down the part. Marvin, another Oscar winner, turned down the part of Troutman. James Mason and Richard Jekyll were also considered. I don't know who either of those people are. Kirk Douglas was eventually hired. This is probably my favorite story. But just before shooting began, Douglas quit the role of Troutman over a script dispute. Douglas wanted to retain the novel's original ending of Rambo and Tessel fatally wounding each other. Troutman finishing Rainbow. I'm sorry, Rainbow. Troutman Rainbow. finishing Rambo. <laughs> Troutman finishing Rambo with a kill shot, then sitting with the dying Tessel for the sheriff's final moments. Douglas also wanted Troutman to have more screen time. The funny thing about that one is. Kirk Douglas was one of Stallone's like idols, like he really wanted him in the movie. But when they had yeah. a discussion, he basically wanted Rambo to die. They were going to put Rambo in the back seat of the cop car, have it drive off. But then, in the final shot, they wanted to Rambo see sits up, sits up, and puts yeah. the bandana on. And it was like they're like, no, we just can't do that. And oh so my god, no! So he quit. Yeah, that would have been cheesy. Yeah. Kirk, Kirk Douglas would have made a good Troutman. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah that would have been cheesy. Yeah. Uh, Rock Hudson was approached as a replacement, but was soon to undergo heart surgery. He had to pass up on the chance to work with Stallone. Richard Crenna was quickly hired as a replacement. The role of Troutman became the veteran character actor's most famous role, a performance for which he received much critical praise. Uh, I will go on the record now and saying that I don't think Crenna is that great in this movie. I think he has a few moments, but, but they also said because he came late, a lot of his lines, he had to read off a cue cards during the filming yeah. because he didn't have time to memorize them. So it probably hurt his performance a little bit. He has some good moments, but like his first entrance is like his, his line delivery is like, you just came off of, yeah. he was just, wasn't on the same par as everybody else. I'll just leave it that way. But yeah, it's not I like great. him as an actor, but yeah. All right. So we'll talk about Sylvester Stallone as John James Rambo, a little bit about his history. After a few disappointing roles in low budget movies, Stallone got a crucial career break alongside fellow young actor, Henry Winkler starring, I'm sorry, sharing lead billing in the effectively written teen gang film The Lords of Flatbush in 1974. Never heard of it. I remember seeing, I've never seen it, but I remember seeing the posters for it because I was a huge Fonzie fan from Happy Days as a kid. So I remember I remembered seeing the posters for it or the, the, the VHS for it, but I never saw it. Further film and television roles followed most of them in uninspiring productions, except for the uh, opportunity to play a mega uh, megalomaniac. There you go, megalomaniac, bloodthirsty race driver named Machine Gun Joe Viterbo in the Roger Corman produced Death Race 2075. That's a fun movie. Yeah. However, Stallone was also keen to be recognized as a screenwriter, not just an actor. And inspired by the 1975 Muhammad Ali Chuck Webner fight in Cleveland, Stallone wrote a film script about a nobody fighter, given the million to one opportunity to challenge for the heavyweight title. Of course, that was Rocky from 1976, which became the stuff of cinematic legend, scoring 10 Academy Award nominations, winning the Best Picture Award of 76, and triggering one of the most financially successful movie series in history. 
He followed Rocky with Fist in 78, loosely based Never on the life of, of Teamsters Boss. I've seen that one. I remember seeing yeah. that one. And Paradise Alley in 1978. Before also pull- never heard of it. <laughs> Before pulling on the boxing gloves again to resurrect Rocky Balboa in the sequel Rocky II in 79. The second outing for the Italian Stallion wasn't as powerful or successful as the first Rocky. However, it still produced strong box office. Subsequent films, Night Hawks in 81. I've seen... Never heard of it. you never seen it. That's him and Billy Dee <laughs> no. Williams and Rutger Hauer. You should oh, watch that one. That you, you'd like pretty that Pretty good one. cast. Yeah. And Victory in 1981, it's him and also Mike, never heard of it. <laughs> Michael Caine. Michael Caine is in that movie. Hey, yeah, uh, it's a soccer movie. Uh, 1981. Oh. I now you talk about. I, I actually have seen like posters or the the cover for the that cover one. Of Victory. As soon as, as soon as you said that, I yep. was like, oh, I can picture Michael Caine on the cover of that one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So in 1982, he was lured back to familiar territory with Rocky Three. Of course, what we came also- out first. Rocky Three or First Blood. I think Rocky Three had come out before First Blood. Okay. So I have to go back and double check, but I think in another another thing I'd read, it was after this one. Laramie does some Google searching. <laughs> As Bethany would say, this is the part of the podcast where Laramie Googles. Yep. May twenty fifth is when Rocky three came out. Mm-hmm. Do you have the release date for First Blood is October twenty second. Pretty much coming off the heels because you got to remember back then, movies stayed in the theaters a lot longer. So mm-hmm. Rocky, it's very possible Rocky Three was still somewhat hanging on in theaters when First Blood came out. So he's kind of hitting a one-two punch in 82. I mean, this is Stallone's movie. I can't really imagine anybody else in the role but Stallone at this point, especially. But even with all the people we've discussed. I mean, they could have always gotten Arnold. I mean, they were pretty much interchangeable in a lot of stuff around this time. Eh, not no. That was later because eighty two, all that Stallone. I mean, all that Schwarzenegger had done was what Hercules or whatever the, uh, the villain. He hadn't done Terminator yet. Terminator was eighty four. He done the villain. You or, ever seen the villain? I've never seen the villain. This is the villain. Kurt Russell. Is it really? Yeah. Not Kurt. Uh, not Kurt Russell. Kurt oh, Douglas. Kurt Douglas. Kurt okay. Douglas. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Kurt Douglas and Margaret. Okay. And Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's a western. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I've seen a picture it's of a that. It's a comedy western yes. where uh, Kirk Douglas is the villain and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is the hero. And Arnold Schwarzenegger has near to no lines. Of course not. In it. Um, but it's a, it's like a uh, Roadrunner Wally Coyote type okay. movie. Like a live action cartoon movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there Interesting. you go. Interesting. Yeah, but if, if Arnold had, had been thrown this role i mean it, oh he would have jumped on it for sure yeah so i mean it would have been hard again for him to be playing an american soldier with his accent but yeah very true and even true you know like stallone doesn't have much dialogue in, like the most he speaks is in like the last 10 minutes of the movie yes and i usually don't like to make fun of the way sylvester stallone speaks but it mm. makes it very difficult to understand what he is saying <laughs> Yeah. Because of his emotion mixed right. with his you know, his dialect right, right. Uh, that he has. There there's a lot of that final uh really I mean it seems like it's a very powerful moment. It is. But yeah. I, there there's a lot of it where I'm just sitting there going, What? What did he say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Was, this is my war. This is my war. I can't do it without coughing. <laughs> uh, 
Okay. Everybody, you can you can turn your you can turn your volume back up on the podcast now. <laughs> yeah. He's done screaming in the microphone. Well, uh, I mean, that's what he does. Oh, I know. I get it. I know. From it's, the very it's, beginning it's a, of that, it's I'll a back very, away from. I'll back away no. from the mic. The very beginning of that, when he, when he's, he's like, it's never over. Right. And then, and then he just goes into it. Yeah. Yeah. Very accurate interpretation. Oh, it's a great. It's a great. Yeah. It's a great yeah. scene. Yeah. And yes, my Sylvester Stallone is spot on. <laughs> All right, so moving right along. Richard Crenna as Colonel Samuel R. Sam Troutman. I don't know why he has so many Sams in there. Uh, <laughs> Crenna starred in such motion pictures as The Sand Pebbles, Wait Until Dark, Unflick, Body Heat, and the first three Rambo movies. Of course, he made a cameo in Hot Shots Part Du and The Flamingo Kid. His first success came on radio in 1948. Definitely has a radio voice. Doesn't he play Troutman he does. in Hot Shots? Yeah. He does, yeah. Uh, so his first success came on radio in 1948 as high school student Walter Denton, co-starring with Eve Arden and Gail Gordon on the CBS series Our Miss Brooks. Crenna continued with the comedy and continued with the comedy in its 1952 move into television. He also starred as Luke McCoy in the ABC and later CBS TV series The Real McCoys. Uh, this is from our friend Ron. Credited as Dick Crenna, he directed eight episodes of The Andrew Griffith Show during its 63-64 season, wow. including such gems as Opie the Birdman, The Sermon for Today, and the Gomer Pyle instigated Citizen's Arrest. So, I thought that was interesting. He was directing those TV shows. But this is by far his most famous role. And then, of course, oh, he's yeah. in another, one of my favorites, Summer Rental with John Candy. He, oh, yeah. I he plays, I... He's kind of the villain in that movie, which he's, he's great. It's more of a comedy but he really yeah. hams it up in that one, so definitely recommend that one if you haven't seen it. Yeah, I forgot that was him. Mm-hmm. It's like I, I saw his face. I was like, what movie is that that he's in? And it was like, that, that's it, Summer Rental. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as you said it, I, I pictured him, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, those are my lobster. Are these are your lobster? Uh, are my yeah. lobster. Uh, so moving right along, Brian Dennehy as Sheriff William Will. Yeah, they kept calling him Will in the movie. Mm-hmm. Tessel. Primarily known as a dramatic actor, First Blood is considered his breakthrough role. I could see that. His earlier films included several comedies like Semi-Tough with Burt Reynolds, in which he portrayed a pro football player, Foul Play with Chevy Chase, and Ten with Dudley Moore. He later portrayed a corrupt sheriff in the western Silverado. And Silverado, an Coon, yeah. Both released in 85. Denny had, had memorable supporting parts in such films as Split Image in 82, Legal Eagles in 86, FX, Murder by Illusion in 86, and Presumed Innocent in 1990. He gradually became a valuable character actor, but also achieved leading man status in the thriller Best Seller in 87, co-starring James Woods. He went on to star as Harrison in the Australian film The Man from Snowy River 2 in 88. But one of his most well-known roles came in 1985, Chris Farley, David Spade comedy Tommy Boy as Big Tom Callahan, he also reunited with his ten co-star Bo Derek in Tommy Boy, in which he played, in which she played his wife. Dennehy, I mean, that's I mean, phenomenal actor. Uh, yeah, the late great Brian Dennehy. Then and he and away. as a um, yeah, just passed away a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. As a uh, theater performer, yeah, uh, he yeah. he is one of the great Willie Lomans. Yes, of, from yeah. Death of a Salesman. He did a TV version of it too, didn't he? I think mm-hmm. that was in he my did. notes too. And yeah, I think he, he won. He might have won an Emmy for that performance. And I want to say I saw that, or I, I think we watched that, and we might have watched his TV version in high school when we read the book. 
I want to think. Well, he's also, uh, he is also, which, who's dad? He's, he's either Romeo or Juliet's dad in, uh, the DiCaprio, the DiCaprio, Romeo and Juliet. Juliet. Okay. Yeah. I forgot which one he is, but he's one of their dads. Um, I'm not a huge fan of that version, yeah, but I think I've only just seen again, kind of talking about his kind of stage presence. Mm-hmm. Kind of did it all. He did comedy, he did drama, you know, somewhat of action. So yeah, very, I mean, but great actor, you know, yeah. this is, and I would, I would put the, this up there with probably one of his best roles, at least most memorable roles for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. He was a great, um, there was a great uh, animosity that you could see between, him and Stallone yeah. like that was you could really feel that on the screen it wasn't it, it seemed to work the chemistry in that aspect really worked yeah really. that and Silverado I think those were yeah, the two yeah. that if I were, you were to ask me to name Brian Dennehy movies uh it would probably be First Blood Silverado and Tommy Boy yeah yeah um, Tommy Boy's just so I mean, iconic I I would also name Summer Catch uh but not a lot of people <laughs> I know them rem- yeah, not a lot of people remember that he's the coach of the baseball team. Okay, in Summer Catch, um, but I yeah, that was one of the movies I was kind of a fan of uh, when it came out. Mm-hmm. Freddie Prince Jr. And Jessica yep. Biel. Yep, I've seen that yep. one a few times. Uh, so if there's other people on the cast that I didn't go, I didn't deep dive into many of them because they didn't have a whole lot on their filmography. But two familiar faces. I was about to say, hold up. Okay, but you're saying two. You're saying yeah. two familiar faces. Two so familiar. I was like, okay. So first, first off, Michael Talbot as Officer Balford. You may remember him as Detective Stan Stewick on the TV show Miami Vice. Miami Vice. And then, but it was funny when he popped up. I was like, I kept, I was putting him in some other TV show besides Miami Vice until I pulled it up, and I was like, oh yeah, it's Miami Vice. And then of course, David Caruso as Officer Mitch. He well, had hold, his, hold on. Hold on. How are you not going to mention that he was also in National Lampoon's Vacation? He wasn't. Yeah, he was the cowboy, right? He was the cowboy. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, David Caruso as Officer Mitch. He had his real claim to fame on the TV shows NYPD Blue and CSI <laughs> Miami. He and his sunglasses. And sunglasses, yeah. yep. He knew the show was going to start when he put his sunglasses back on. And so. said some sort of yeah pun or yeah. something. But Caruso was good in this one. I, mean, I, I remembered him. He's a little bit more memorable than Talbot is, but Talbot was, uh, was good. Talbot had one of the more painful injuries in the uh, in the woods, though. He's the one that got the uh, sticks in his knees or the swing. Yeah, which which I want to talk about real quick. Okay, let's talk about it. How long was Rambo out there? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's to a... have the time <laughs> to whittle all of those sticks into sharp pointy dangerous things mm-hmm. and then tie them to this thing yeah. how did he have time to set up that track yeah yeah that's that's where the movie needed a little bit more time to because i had the same thought today when i was rewatching, and i was like he wasn't in the woods that long yeah. to be able to do all that stuff to uh, set that i mean the other ones the other attacks they're yeah. more like spur of the moment right like but he just happened to be one was, on them yeah yeah that one took some time right that one I mean, took some time. Even in Predator, we saw, you know, we saw Schwarzenegger. Yeah, it was like Arnold a whole afternoon. He put, yeah. he created the the booby traps, but, but yeah, but that's when he did not have the time. That by far was probably the most painful of the, uh, oh, of yeah, the attacks. I agree. So, but. 
I agree. Now, I, I know you were mentioning other things. I do want to mention another one that I immediately recognized. Okay. And that was that was uh, Chris Mulkey. Okay. Uh, Chris Mulkey's the one that played uh, Ward, one of the other deputies. Mm-hmm. I recognized him immediately. He's a he's a character actor. There's okay. Probably you know it's just one of the he's one of those fa- he's one of those it's that guy. That he's guy. one of those faces. Yeah. Like right, you just right. go, hey, it's that guy. Yeah, there um, were a few others that I would recognize. Like, is that is that the same guy as that? And I probably just didn't re- didn't uh, research it as much. Yeah, but no, Chris Mulkey was one I, I definitely recognized. I mean, he was he's in he I mean, he's still doing stuff. Yeah, but again, he's he's just he's that guy. I couldn't mm-hmm. tell you anything <laughs> that he was in that he's in. Right, not without looking it up. But right. I know he's been in several things. And now these messages. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagney with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes. Hey, everybody. Do you ever just sit around with your friends and reminisce about the days and how things used to be when you were a kid or a teenager or maybe even a young adult? The TV shows and the movies that you watched at the time and how things just aren't quite the same today? Well, let me tell you, I've got the place for you. My name is Chris Adams, and I'm the host of the podcast Retro Life for You. And here at Retro Life for You, we talk about and discuss movies and TV that is retro. And we are going back from the 80s and the 90s and into the 2000s. Hey, sometimes we might even touch back to the 70s if we're feeling good. If this is for you, make sure you look for us on everywhere that you can find your podcast at. Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Stitcher, or hosted on Anchor FM. And make sure you follow us on all the major networks and leave us a rating and a review. It really does help. Look forward to hearing from you. (sighs) What seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world. So many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR. But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. All right, well, let's jump into iconic favorite scenes. What do you got? When you when someone says First Blood, what is the first scene that you immediately think of? 
Um, I think of either First Blood Part 2 or I think of <laughs> Rambo 3. Um, because there's really not a lot in this one. I mean, I will say the him in the store with Troutman and turning around and the, it's never over. I mean, right. that... Right. That I, I mean... But I would have to see the scene and go, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I don't yeah. think of the scene. There's like screenshots it, that I think of, like him holding the knife to Tessel's neck yeah. and saying, you know, that's not when he says they drew first blood. It's, uh, oh, you're no. about to get a war you won't believe or something yeah. like that. Something like that. Yeah. And, well, and then, you know, picturing him in the whatever that cloth. Tarp, the tarp. tarp yeah, yeah. That he's in. I mean, just it's kind of that look. But I, I honestly, I do not, there's not a scene that just sticks out in my head. There's a scene that I could have swore was in this movie, but it's obviously in First Blood Part 2. So That's what I'm telling you. Yeah. yeah. So there's a because scene. Because yeah. I could have, I could have sworn he used a bow and arrow in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the I second I really one. did. But yeah, but that's the second one. And the scene I'm thinking about where he's, he's like in a mud wall and he comes out from behind, you like, his eye opens up in the mud behind the guy. No, that, that no, that's Predator. That was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Was that Schwarzenegger? <laughs> I mean, that's that happens in Predator. I could have swore that was in. I think it's in both. I think it's a okay. different scene. So yeah, but it's got to you know, be in the Arnold second. Arnold covers one. himself in the mud. To, right, right, right. To get away from the Predator's little heat vision thing, and yeah. then there is the moment where his eyes open up, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's a different scene. It, it, it could be the case. Yeah. But but yeah, that's my you I if I were to think of a scene from a Rambo movie, I usually don't think of a scene from this movie. Yeah, and so yeah. I, I really don't know. Now watching it, I mean, I would I would go, oh, that scene was awesome, mm. you know. But that that would more be like that would more be a favorite scene. Yeah, yeah. So you know, you like got when he yeah. well when he takes out all of the deputies. Oh yeah, for I mean, sure. That's a that's a that's a good scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I have like sequences of scenes like. And really, like, the first hour is very thrilling. I mean, of course, the very beginning, you got a little time for the setup. But from mm-hmm. the moment he breaks, when he snaps in the jail, like, that whole next 45 minutes yeah, really kind of, you know, it rolls really fast. Like, the pacing of that is very good. So, the escape from the jail, the motorcycle chase, and picking off the officers one by one in the woods... Uh, that whole sequence to me is very is probably the best parts of the movie yeah. for me. And even the you know the motorcycle chase and this some stuff in the trivia that you know the uh, when Tesla's car goes over the side that was not scripted like that was an accident with the stunt and Uh-oh. and uh, Kachik <laughs> thought it was good so he sent Denny he to go okay car's upside down good good in the car <laughs> we'll get a yeah. good shot of you and coming out of the car out. Yeah. right so they had to uh, they they use that for well, the, for the movie and see that's the other thing I kind of. Again, this movie does, you know, play Rambo as more of a hero. I like that when Galt falls out, mm-hmm. like Rambo, even though he's pretty sure he, he's dead, Rambo right. does go mm-hmm. and check the body. When right. that scene, when Tesla flips over, Rambo stops. He does stop, yep. And makes yep. sure. Even after uh, Galt dies, mm-hmm. Rambo goes to them and said, hey, look. Right. That, I, I didn't do I that. I did not do right. that. Right. And once again, I think it's, and I think that goes back to like the movie is great. We're not, you know, we're not gonna pick it apart too much, but we're missing some of the nuances there of like why they were so adamant, yeah, to go after him. Like I feel like there were some pieces that were missing of yeah. why 
they yeah, were because so, it makes sense in the in the book, in the book because he murders one of the right, deputies, right? right and right. so that's what starts them, yeah. you know, really tracking. It, again, it does start off with just I don't want this, you know, homeless vagrant in my town. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually the the whole get let it giving him a ride. He mm-hmm. actually does that a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. Before I think I saw that in the book. Yeah. So so again, that's the whole thing about in the book. They do make uh, Tesla a little bit more sympathetic. You know, even though he is a jerk about the I don't want you in my town. He does give him several opportunities right. to leave. Because doesn't he, in the book, isn't he like arrested? Like there's a reason he's arrested, not just because he was walking back into town. Like didn't he, did he get hanged into a scuffle or something? I don't remember. I I'm, I, did, I, honestly, I did too much I, reading. But anyway. I'm trying to remember myself. Yeah. But but yeah, he pretty much just, uh, it just goes a little bit too far mm-hmm. uh, of him just, because he, he refuses to answer any of Tesla's questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, which they kind of do in the movie. Right. Uh, and Tesla just gets more and more frustrated with him. Gotcha. Um, which, again, also leads to Rambo's not that big of a hero in mm. the, the book. Rambo is kind of a, a, you know, a not great guy. But, yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, but, yeah, as there's just scenes where I just... I don't... I, I don't really think of the a lot of these scenes, and honestly, when I'm when I rewatch the movie for this, there was a lot of oh yeah. If if I hadn't read the book, I was like <laughs> oh I totally forgot this was in this movie. Because mm-hmm. isn't there a Christmas tree in the yeah yeah? yeah. There's I'm like, like is this supposed to be Christmas? There's a Christmas yeah, there's, time. Yeah yeah it's it's very much in the background, but never really mentioned. Like no one no one there's no dialogue no. that mentions it's Christmas. Yeah. Like so it's like can, Lethal Weapon. Well, Lethal Weapon has a little bit more because there's Christmas songs playing in the background. I think mm-hmm. in this one you see the Merry Christmas, which only has one R, and Merry at the police station uh, sign at the desk. And then there's some Christmas lights, and I think there's a billboard with a Santa Claus on it in one scene. But that's really all you've got as far as the Christmas connection. But, yeah. but I agree. there There's great sequences, but, yeah, there's not really an I- iconic scene, I don't think. But I, there's favorite scenes. So any other favorite scenes you got? No, I, I think that pretty much yeah, that pretty much covers it for me. Yeah, uh, one scene I wanted to mention was the National Guardsmen's. I'm sorry, the National Guardsmen afraid to go into the mine. That whole, you go over there and I'm not doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah like that's that, pretty funny. That that's, that it lightens the tone. It's a good laugh. And then of course after that when they're taking the pictures, like we're for Soldier of Fortune magazine. And then Tesla comes like, you guys got to go dig that out. I was like, I got to be back at the drugstore tomorrow morning. He was yeah. like, well, you can tell me you're gonna be late. So. I thought that and was that, just a kind of yeah. a fun little little bit to kind of lighten things up at that point in the movie. And all, and although not comedic, you know, they, there is the National Guard tracking him in the book as well. Mm-hmm. And he actually talks about how, kind of explains how they shoot at him, but they're, they're not hitting him. Okay. And he pretty much says, you know, because they're just, you know, weekend soldiers. Weekend warriors, yeah. You know, yeah. they don't have the training. Mm-hmm. And so... You know their their aim is not as good, right? Right. And uh, I just as a, as a person who you know watches as many movies as I do, and there's always the thing about wow, everybody's shooting and nobody's hitting anything. <laughs> right. I like that the book at least gave a reason. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That is good. All right, well, let's cover a few little trivia things, and we'll start to wrap this one up. So uh, the name Rambo came from a variety of apples of the same name. So it was. Uh, which I remember seeing Rambo apples as a kid and like, oh, they named apples after Rambo. Uh, 
The movie takes place in the fictitious town of Hope, Washington, however much of the movie was filmed, in the real town of Hope, British Columbia, which there's some great, you know, good breathtaking, like nice nature, you know, uh, wide shots. Mm. You know, say that's a beautiful place to go visit, probably. The book is set in Kentucky. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So not a, not that kind of town. But uh, yeah, I've actually been to British Columbia, so it is really that beautiful up there. So it's been a long time. I thought this was fascinating. Navy SEAL was brought in to show Stallone how to get away from the group of police officers who were detaining Rambo. The actors on set, David Caruso among them, were convinced they could hold him with all of them ganging up, but the SEAL, as Stallone puts it, laid all three of them out. It's not too hard to believe that a Navy SEAL beat up a bunch of actors. Yeah. <laughs> so this is cool. I mean, of course, the, the knife is probably one of the most iconic things about the movie. At least, it, I mean, it became yeah. iconic from the movie. Although n- not in the book. But in the book. Oh, okay. Yeah. He, Still- has, he has no weapons on him when he is... Okay. Uh, when he is brought into custody. Okay. So Stallone personally selected famed knife maker Jimmy Lyle to design and create the iconic knife first used by Rambo. The goal was to create a knife that could be reliable for extreme survival situations, including being long and sharp enough to slice food or cut wood, waterproof and able to hold necessities like matches and medicine, able to carry a nylon string for fishing and snaring, and have an alternate blade of saw teeth for defense and in order to cut poles for shelter. And also to use as a torch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In all, six knives were created to be used during production with additional updated versions made for subsequent movies in the series. The movie popularized knockoff hollow-handled survival knives with compasses on the pommel. And I remember those knives being yeah. sold as a kid and all of us wanting one. And our parents were like, there's no way I'm buying this yeah. boy. Yeah. This but, giant hunting hmm. knife. And that's what I like. He was like, what do you have this for? Hunting. What are you hunting with this? <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, I do remember the knives. I, I remember the the back of it, you know, the little compass on the end, and you unscrewing, mm-hmm. and there being stuff on the inside. But you know, a few of my friends that were able to get one, they all that stuff they lost within like two or three days. Everything that was inside that knife was lost. Uh, this is my other favorite story. To check to see how realistic the wound on his arm was that he has that he sews up in that one scene. Stallone went to a local hospital over a lunch break with the movie wound still on his arm, blood still pumping through the hidden tube underneath. He even left the makeshift sewing job Rambo does on his wound for the nurses to see. Naturally, they all freaked out about it. Stallone just asked for Tylenol or some form of pain reliever, to which the nurses told him he was, quote-unquote, the toughest man we've ever met. (laughs) Shame on him for messing with those nurses. Right, right. So, but... Fun stories. All right, box office and critical reception. First Blood opened in theaters on October 2nd, 1982 and topped the U.S. box office for three weeks in a row. Its $6 million opening weekend was the best October opening at the time, and the film ended up as a significant financial success with a total gross of $51 million domestically, the highest grossing film of the fall, and the 13th highest grossing film of 1982. So there you go, which is why they made Not so bad. many sequels. Rotten Tomatoes has it at 86% on the tomato meter with an 85 audience score. IMDb seven out of seven with the viewers out of 10 with a 61 on Metacritic. Cause Metacritic always <laughs> tanks it just with the tank. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think 86, 85 is about right. Yeah. I, th- yeah. I think mid eighties yeah. is about right for this. Yeah. Low yeah. to mid eighties I think is, is true. I, of the entire Rambo series, this is still my favorite. I think this is the best story and 
yeah, as far as a movie. Is it the yeah. most entertaining of them? Maybe not, but... I'm a fan of Rambo. Yeah. The, 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 one, the one just Rambo. Yeah. The, yeah, the fourth one. Right. The one where he's older. Yeah. And he's... The Cambodian. There, it's a rescue... Yeah, the rescue yeah. mission. Yeah. Um, I'm a fan of very that. Violent, I mean, yeah, that very violent, but yeah, that one was good. Very violent, but it pretty much... Yeah, it, it is. That is your typical action mm-hmm. movie right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not too over the top like Rambo Three was. Yeah, yeah. Um, that Rambo Three is just so over the top. <laughs> but I can't be mad at Rambo Three because it's one of the reasons we have the Hot Shots movie. True. Very so, true. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no. Yeah, I'm good with the the '80s, the mid '80s. I, I think that's a fair. Um, because, like I said, it's it's a great movie, but it's not one that you really think of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're thinking. I mean, you're thinking of your list of great 80s movies. It's probably not no. one you're immediately going to put on your list. No. Now, if someone mentions it, you might then put it on your list. Right, right. But it's it's not going to be one that a lot of people immediately go to. Yeah, I agree. All right, well, I think that's going to wrap it up for us on this one. Laramie, thank you so much for being a part. What you got going on with moving panels? What's upcoming for you guys we have just ended year two. Oh yeah and we're going going into year three of uh of the moving panels podcast and so we've got some theme months coming up i'm actually going to do uh, a theme month for both september and october uh of course we got the march madness which i'm looking forward to a lot i'll go ahead and say the death and return of superman this is uh celebrating the 30th anniversary uh, even though the storyline started off in 92, it then continued into 93. So I am counting 2023 <laughs> as the 30th anniversary as well. Um, so we're going to we're going to do some of that. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm excited to to see. I'm very excited to see. I know this is uh, not I don't want to get off topic, but we just had a episode kind of about this. I'm very curious to see where DC anything yeah. goes. Yeah. With now everything that was supposed to come out this year getting pushed to next year, um, so or being scrapped it's, altogether, it's, <laughs> or being scrapped altogether. Thank you, Discovery Plus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, it could be an interesting thing to talk about, especially with some one shots. But uh, I'm excited about uh, the stuff coming up uh, in September. Uh, she Hulk. Me and my wife Bethany are going to break down the first three episodes in just a couple of weeks. Cool. That'll be exciting, and uh, and then in October, with kind of hitting those horror movies and uh, and whatnot, we're gonna we're gonna touch Thirty Days of Night, uh, oh, okay. which if yeah. you didn't know is based yeah, on a comic I think book. I knew so, that. Yeah. so we're gonna hit that one, and uh, and yeah, it's gonna be fun. Yeah. Let me be back. We've got some other episodes coming up. We got some uh, bonus episodes. If you missed the last bonus episode, back to the beach, holding on to summer as long as we can. But Laramie's got. We got two coming up, and one in September and one in October. So don't miss our bonus episodes. That'll be coming out as well. So be sure to follow, subscribe, rate, and review if you love the podcast. If you love this episode especially, share it with somebody who loves 80s flicks. Help us uh, spread the word about the show. Of course, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Uh, I'm going to hit all my, all my things real fast here. But, but you can become a supporter of the podcast. The podcast will always be free. You'll always get free episodes, but it does cost money. So if you can help with that, we'd appreciate it. You can uh, you just go through Anchor. You can uh, support us with 99 cents a month, 4.99 a month, or 9.99 a month. You go to the show notes and forgot to do that. So 
Or just send send him a hundred bucks. So that's, yeah. And I have the Amazon wish list. We're gonna buy the movie. Do that too. Also check out the '80s flick flashback movie songs mix on Apple Music. Uh, and let me know if you want to do it on Spotify because I could make one there too. But I'm I'm more on Apple Music than Spotify. Am I allowed to say that on the Anchor Podcast? I don't know. Here we go. Look for more forgotten '80s flicks. I mentioned that already. I think I'm done. I think yeah. I've ran out of everything to say. <laughs> yeah. We we love you, Anchor. Yes, we, we do. We love you. Yes. And Spotify. And Spotify. We do. I, just for that, I will make a Spotify playlist. So anyway. All right. Well, thanks, Laramie, for being a part. Thanks, guys, for listening. I'm Tim Williams for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Good night. Still here? It's over. Nothing is over! Go home. Go.